Welcome to the Retirement Risk Show, the best retirement interviews and advice with Dave Hall. Learn strategies to help you reduce and even eliminate the risks facing your retirement. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. My name is Dave Hall. I am your host. We are back again talking about your retirement, talking about those uh, exciting years that each of us have ahead of us that will allow us to do those things that maybe we didn't get a chance to do during our working years. Maybe we get to try some new hobbies. Maybe we get to travel to new destinations, all part of our retirement journey. If you'd like to learn more about how you can get safely through your retirement years, go to my website, retirementriskadvisors.com. Here you will be able to get access to our education tools. You'll also get access to my new book, Getting Safely Through Retirement, where you'll learn about the various risks you will face, as well as some strategies to help get you through those years. For those of you who were with us last week, we talked about sequence of return risk a little bit. I also gave a market update on some of the Research had recently been done by BlackRock. Today, we're going to carry on that conversation about sequence of return risk. And to help us, I brought my partner in with us, uh, Brian Britt. Brian, welcome to the show. Hello, Dave. Good to be here. Good to see you. Hello, everybody out there. This is always fun for me because we both have radio backgrounds in our past. Now, for me, it was multiple years ago. Yours might not be as far back as mine was. But it's a great opportunity to talk to someone that not only, again, is a partner that I'm with every day, but also get to share these things to an audience that's out there trying to learn. You know, I forgot about my radio career till you mentioned it. But uh, mine was back in 2010 till 2014. I had a show with the San Diego Union Tribune that used to broadcast live from their historic headquarters in downtown San Diego. It was called More Than Just About the Money. It was really a show about a balanced lifestyle between financial success, but also success with family and health. Basically, there were four quadrants that we tried to talk about. And because the newspaper owned the radio station and the show, we were able to interview all of the people the newspaper had highlighted in some way. So we had a lot of really big CEOs, a couple Fortune 500 CEOs on there, a lot of New York Times bestselling authors. But it was all about trying to find that balance between success financially, but also success in your life right? Just uh, non-financial success. So it ran for about four years. This was before podcasts were popular. I think we had uh, about 20,000 podcast listeners per week. So it was a nice little show. It was a lot of fun. Got to meet a lot of really neat people. Interesting. We've never talked about it in that much detail. Mine came in two spurts. My first one was back in the late 1980s. I was a DJ on our college radio station. So I was turning the, the music, uh, playing the records, doing all of that. And that got me introduced to the experience and something that I loved. I loved radio after that. And then I was about that same time. Somewhere around 2010, we did a show called Ask the Experts where we brought experts in from different areas. And again, it wasn't just a financial show. It was a show where we would bring a plumber in. We would bring a financial expert in. We would bring a delivery driver, whatever the case may be, whatever industry you might have out there and allow them to talk about what they did, allow people to ask questions that not only they may have that would help them, if you're a plumber, get their stuff done at home, but also help them 
better understand these industries. And it ran for about three years. We ran that show and then we ended up getting into the podcast world. We did business uh, in Las Vegas show and that became our podcast world that then turned into multiple shows to where we are today. But folks, that's not what we're here for, we know. But uh, now you've got a little history. We've got caught up on some history. Ryan, let's talk a little bit about sequence of return risk. You've been involved in the industry for decades now. You started uh, out doing a lot of trading and, and working on the various floors in New York. How long has this been around as an item that people talk about and take as an important part of the retirement? Is something new or something that you've been dealing with for your whole career? That's a good question. And I think I can't overemphasize it's very new. This is not something that was ever discussed in the halls of Wall Street. So when I started back in 1986, my specialty back then was mutual funds. Now, mutual funds, most people didn't even know what they were. So I used to go to the Archdiocese of New York, back to my old high school teachers, and I used that to kind of start my career. And these teachers all had 403Bs back then, right? The 401k of the nonprofit world. And they were able to self-direct. Even though the 403Bs were through the school, they were able to self-direct them. And I would go in and present different solutions to them from different mutual fund companies. So back then, that was kind of the first time anybody got a taste of diversification and professional asset management, because up until that point, most people, if they even had any money in the stock market, it was individual stocks that they were buying, right? But nothing about sequence of return risk whatsoever. And as far as when that started to happen, I think when I shifted my practice, maybe 15, 17 years ago, from pure asset management to financial planning first, and then eventually asset management in the sequence, that's when it started to come up a little bit more. But I would say even just in the last few years, I hear some pretty high-level experts starting to use those terms. And it may even have originated with us or even with one of our partners like Dave McKnight, where we started saying it out loud. But I don't even remember three years ago people talking about sequence of return risk. So that's just, that's just I could be wrong, but that's my feeling. It's very interesting. It's definitely something that I've seen pick up in importance, pick up in conversations, talked about much more, as you say. So I look back over the last uh, five years or so myself and again, not something that I worried about when I started my journey of trying to figure out how to do my own retirement, which is really what's got us uh, where we are today from my side, saying I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of concerns. I was seeing people's retirements fall apart. I saw the 2000 downturn and you would have as well. And we'll talk some about that. But I saw the 2000 downturn and all of a sudden these clients that I had in my accounting practice were not doing the things that I expected them to do, which was to retire and to go on and enjoy their uh, self-imposed unemployment. They were all staying in the workplace or they were going back to work. They were doing these things that I'd never expect them to do. And then 2008 hits, I see the same thing, start realizing there's got to be something to these downturns and the impact they have, especially as we get into the retirement space. And, and that was really my first exposure to the thought that it could happen. But at that time, I had no idea what it was called. I just realized that it was impacting people's lives that were older than I was. Right. And, you know, I think what's so interesting about the history of it all, because for me, starting in 1986, so I've seen 
evolution occur within the financial services business. And back then, like I said, mutual funds were kind of just starting out. Then I was a large cap value manager for Lehman Brothers. No talk of diversification, no talk of mutual funds. I mean, I think they would have kicked me out of my office if I ever even tried to sell a mutual fund back then. And then I kind of, you know, continue to move through different companies. And all of a sudden, one day, asset allocation and diversification and professional management became the new buzz story from Wall Street. You know, why manage everything yourself? Let's bring somebody in for small cap, mid cap, large cap, international growth and value. And you have this whole baseball team of money managers, but still no mention of sequence of return. And what we were always told is the way you protect your clients from volatility is using Harry Markowitz's theory of modern portfolio theory, right? Where you just spread your money between supposedly non-correlated asset classes. And the, and the whole theory was, well, if stocks are crashing, bonds are not. And if bonds are crashing, stocks are doing really well. And you and I both know as students of history, that's absolutely not the case. I mean, you can go back to 1929. You can go to uh, obviously 2008. Um, you can look at this last little blip we've had in 2022 where treasury bonds lost 30% of their value while stocks were going down or flat. So the whole idea that you can diversify away the risk of being in the market is an absolute fallacy that was created by Wall Street and the marketing machine of Wall Street. And I was part of that. I was told those messages and believed them that, oh, as long as I have the proper mix of stocks and bonds, I'm going to be good. And what you and I both know as looking back at history, absolutely not the case because there are now too many times where stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate are falling at the same exact time. And if we're betting our clients' retirement on the fact that everything is going to be non-correlated, so you'll be fine, I think as fiduciaries, we're not doing our jobs to protect them. So anyway, the whole idea of sequence of return risk, like I said, to me at least, seems very new that people are talking about it, even though you and I have been implementing solutions for those problems for years, I've never heard it talked about so much. And now maybe it's us. Maybe we have just with our reach nationally, maybe we have gotten the conversation going. You know, obviously Dave McKnight is a best-selling author. Maybe he said those words to Ed Slot or Tom Hegna. And all of a sudden it's like everybody is talking about sequence of return, which is great because it is a super important message. It, it definitely is. And for those of you that were not on last week's show, sequence of return basically is when you've got a market downturn at a period of time where you've got to start taking money out. So understand if you're in your early working years, sequence of return is not going to have as big of an impact. Yes, it's going to take your assets down, but you're not pulling the money out of the market. So that money is going to be able to grow back up. Brian, is there an age that people should start really looking at this or a time in their lives that it should be more important to them than maybe another period of time? You know, I got to think about that. I, I would say I'm still of the belief, and I think there's historical data to back this up. The younger you are, the more money you can have on the casino table. And the older you are, the more you should have taken off the casino table and put into something that cannot lose any money. And there, to me, is true diversification. Diversification is, I mean, after doing this for so many years, diversification is not spreading your money between stocks and bonds. Absolutely not. It is spreading your money between risk assets, what you and I call casino money, and 
risk-free assets, which would be things that are guaranteed, principally protected, they can't go down. Whether that's CDs, treasury bonds, uh, a structured note from a bank, a fixed annuity from an insurance company, it doesn't matter. The point is all of those things have no ability to participate in any downside of the market because they're not in the market. Now, they hopefully will get dividends on them, right? Uh, but the principle's protected. So as far as your age question goes, if I had a 50-year-old, I would use a basic age-based formula that I think is very accepted among the fiduciary community, among financial planners, where if you're 50 and let's say you got a million bucks in your 401k, IRA, Roth, and maybe a small brokerage account in your own name, right? You want to have about half of your money still on the casino table. Let it ride and shoot for the fences and be aggressive with it. Grow it. And then the other 50% should be in things that absolutely cannot get hurt. And then as you get older, you could say, hey, well, what about a 60-year-old? Well, you probably figured it out already. If we 60% should be in protection, but 40% still can be on the casino table and so on. Now, obviously, if you're 90 years old, you have $10 million. I'm not saying you need 9 million in principal protected because at that point, your chances of running out of money are nil because you're old, right? You're even past life expectancy. But age, I think, is really just a good factor to use to figure out how much you should have. It's not like a certain age, you shouldn't worry about this. If you're 30, I think you should worry about this. But again, maybe only 30% of your money is guaranteed. The rest of it, let it ride. Once in a while, we'll get people that fully understand this concept. They realize that, especially in the CPA world that we're in, that a lot of them are very conservative. They're used to putting a lot of money into assets that aren't going to go backwards. Unfortunately, historically, that's been bank accounts, certificates of deposit, things that we're not even keeping up with inflation, that we're causing them some inflation risk problems. They do that, but they often come back to us as we show them some of the other strategies that are there and we'll say, why don't they just do everything? Let me just take everything off the casino floor. Let's go ahead and put it all into principal protected. Won't I be better off? Why would we not recommend them to just take everything out of the market at that point? So I think there's two answers to that question. Number one is the sequence of return risk that we don't want to have a year, for example, where all of our money is in any one thing that may not have performed the way the back-tested data showed it would have. So maybe we're in a principal-protected product and we could show that over the last 30 years, it's averaged 9% and we have a couple years of no return at all in those products and we have nothing on the other side of the risk table. So I think as far as diversification goes, we want to make sure that we have a little bit in both. And here's the reason why. Someone, in fact, maybe even earlier this week, I was presenting a financial plan to one of our CPAs, who was my client. And he said to me, you know, I don't know about these indexed annuities. And why shouldn't I just leave the money in the stock market and manage it myself? Because I think I could do just as good. And I said, the answer is, if you manage it yourself and you leave it all in the stock market, I guarantee you, and I can't guarantee many things in my business, but I'll guarantee you there'll be times where you are just simply trying to make up the money you lost, where you have taken a big hit, 2008, 2000, 2022, not the same level, of course, 1987, 1970, 1929, whatever it is, right? You will be in that makeup phase. And while you're busy trying to just get back to even because you lost 30 or 40% of your money, our clients 
me, you, our personal money as well, we'll have a whole bunch of money in our portfolio that didn't even lose a penny. And that's really the key. People say, well, how could it be that something that's guaranteed to not lose money, contractually guaranteed, how could it be that it performs better than some of my stock portfolios? And the answer is, because if I don't participate in the downside, I never have to make up my losses. So now I don't need as much of an upside in a principal protected strategy to be able to make a similar return to a stock and bond portfolio. Well, then why not put everything in that one side? Because you want to have multiple choices when you get into a situation where things have fallen apart. And, and just like you said, if you're in that distribution phase already and you're already pulling money out of the portfolio, you want to be able to sit back every year and go, okay, I need 120 grand to pay my bills this year. Where am I going to get it from? Well, that stock portfolio is down 39%. This year, I'm not taking any money from that portfolio. I'm going to let it recover. I'll even let it recover next year because in my experience, stocks recover. But I'm going to get my whole 120 or my 240 over the next two years. I'm going to take that all out of the stuff that did not lose a penny right? And let, let the other one recover. See that for older people, I think that's much easier to understand for a young person who is making a big income and they're paying all their bills from their income. Sometimes we have to teach them to get their arms around that concept because in their world, they've just let the 401k sit there. Even if it turned into a 201k, they just let it sit for six, seven, eight years and ah, I'm back to even. Everything's good. That's great. As long as you're not needing money right? As long as you're not taking money out. So I think, again, the true diversification against risk is not Harry Markowitz's Nobel Prize winning theory, modern portfolio theory. It's a great theory. It's combining that, protecting your money through proper asset allocation with a portion of your money that's contractually guaranteed by a large institution, whether it's a bank or an insurance company or whatever. I agree with you 100%. And as you look at this, folks, as we talk about this, understand there's a sequence of risk opportunity, too, that it's not just a risk and a downturn, meaning, yes, most of us are going to feel the downside of it because we don't have ourselves diversified out enough that when the market drops, all of a sudden we're going with it. And now go back to 2008, you're down 40%. And as Brian said, you're now going to spend years climbing yourself back out. If you never took that loss, if you're in that principal protected product, as Brian's saying, it's an opportunity. Now you're in a position where you're saying, I immediately get to go from where I was before it happened. I immediately get to start climbing from where I started versus having to take that big loss. And it can become a great opportunity. And we use this primarily for the bond portion of the portfolio, because if we take it over long periods of time, that's where we're finding that it's a good replacement for it, that the stock market generally over a 20, 30 year period of time is going to outperform these principal protected products, but it really becomes the opportunity that helps you stabilize. And that's what we're all about when we talk about getting you safely through retirement and what we do here at Retirement Risk Advisors, trying to help you stabilize that retirement so you can get safely through. Yeah. Just you brought up another great point that I wasn't even thinking of too, diversifying for an upside opportunity. So if you are, let's say, someone that's a little bit more aggressive and let's say your stock portfolio was down 40%, your guaranteed portfolio was down zero, you could, in theory, liquidate some of your super safe assets and buy more of the stocks and the bonds that just got killed, if you wanted to. It depends on your personality and whether you're 
comfortable buying when the blood is in the streets, right? As uh, Warren Buffett said, the best time to make money is when the blood is running in the streets, right? So that's true. You just lost 40%. It's very hard to go buy more of that thing, right? That lost you the 40. But just like you said, Dave, you now have this whole other opportunity to say, well, I'm going to pull some money out of my principal protected stuff. I'm going to buy more stocks and bonds. And that is a completely reasonable thing to do for someone that's comfortable taking on some more risk, right? And then once that maybe recovers, now you can reallocate, put some more money in the protected side. So, you know, I think the key as financial planners, as architects, as designers of blueprints, our job is not to necessarily make all the decisions for the client. It is to give them a lot of opportunities to make choices each year. So when we get together with everybody once a year for the annual review, usually most of those discussions are about choices. Like, should I add more of my assets into these principal protected things? Should I maybe liquidate some of those and buy some more of Tesla? Because I think it's really cheap. Should I reorganize the indexes that my principal protected stuff is linked to for the next 12 or 24 months? All of that happens in our annual reviews. But what's so great, and especially me growing up in a very one-dimensional world, I mean, I was a stock trader for many, many years. That was it. We didn't talk about bonds or mutual funds or anything else. Definitely not principal protection. And what's so cool now is to be able to put people in a position where they have options and we're basically just sitting back with them on the same side of the fence as them and saying, okay, what's your best bet this year? What should we be doing? Should we add a little more, take some from that, just leave everything as it is, don't touch it? At least now we have options rather than the first half of my professional life when stocks would get killed, I would become a financial psychologist and I would basically have to calm people down, remind them of the long term, show them the chart of buy, hold and reinvest. I would always have to reinforce, hey, don't pull out. Just stay. It'll work out eventually. And you'd spend a lot of time just dealing with emotions where that's a thing of the past. People go, yeah, I see the stocks are down. It's no big deal because, man, that thing is rock solid. Look at it. So it's really, I think, awesome to have choices. And that's really what people, I think, hire us to build is a blueprint of something that is going to give them options as their life goes on and their retirement progresses. To me, it's one of the greatest things we do is giving people the freedom to be able to run the retirement as they choose. That's one of the things I often talk about my experience in Puerto Rico and going there and having no idea if I was going to have a hurricane, but knowing for sure that I wanted to do everything I possibly could to prepare in case it happened because I did want those choices. I wanted the choices of what I did with my family, wanted the choices of what I did with my time. I wanted the choices, hopefully, of what I did with my money. But instead of having to take the money to rebuild my house and do all these things that so many my friends had to do, I now could use it to save for my retirement, to help those in need, spend for my family, whatever the case may be. And that's really all about what we do at Retirement Risk Advisors is getting you to a point that we can give you as much freedom as we possibly can with your planning, putting the tools in place. So then as the things happen, hoping that you don't go through risk, hoping you don't have problems, hoping you never have a big sequence return issue, but knowing if you do, Hey, now I'm at a point I can buy and sell some of my other stuff. I can just pull money out of my principal protected product. I can do all these things that they'd never be able to do otherwise without the planning. Absolutely. And I, and I think that really appeals to our audience 
because, you know, before you and I started working together years ago, CPAs were not very often clients of mine. I did a lot of doctors and a lot of CEOs of corporations, but not a lot of C CPAs. And what I really, really love about the CPA community being that they're so numbers driven, if you can show them the math, if you can show them the spreadsheets, they get such a sense of relief and comfort where I will tell you that's not the same for everybody. Other types of personalities, you could sit there and show them pages of numbers and they'll still go, yeah, but I'm, I don't know. I'm still not sure if I should do something. And CPAs just see the numbers and they're like, this works. This makes sense. Okay. What's next? So I love it. I mean, I, I've gone from, you know, really just uh, one side of the business to the other and dealing with so many CPAs. It has just been, it's been awesome. It really has. I've talked to other advisors and that's one of their biggest recommendation is not to bury people in those numbers for a general public. And for the people you usually talk to, oftentimes the reports that we can produce can be tens, if not hundreds of pages. And many advisors were going through trying to get people to understand each of those pages. They finally came to consensus for the general public. You really only need one or two pages. CPAs are completely different. We, we can give them the hundred pages. They're happy to go through them. And I'm one of them. I, I'm glad to do it myself. That's what really sold me as we put this stuff together and we got where we are today is it all made sense. It, it was backed by math. It was backed by science. It was backed by all the things that are so important to be backed by. Brian, our time has come and gone. It's challenging to me to get through all of these because it goes by so quickly. Any parting thoughts that you'd like to share before we wrap everything up? You know, I think just reiterating when you sit and you look at your overall situation, whether you do it with us or you do it on your own or you do it with someone else, I hope at least the takeaway that you got from today is really redefine diversification, redefine what that means for you, and really go in there and measure how much of your liquid net worth is not subject to losses in the market and how much is. And I would say that'd be a great just parting thought as kind of a homework assignment for everybody. Just go check your own ratios, see what they are. And then if you feel like, wow, I'm 90% on the risk side of the equation, Give us a call. We can build a plan and come up with an actual well thought out reason and dollar amounts of how much you should have in each area. And I think the outcome is something that brings a lot of comfort to a lot of people. Great parting words. Uh, listeners, my name is Dave Hall. I'm your host. We've had with us uh, my partner, Brian Britt. Very excited to always have him here on the show. He usually comes about once a month now, so you'll be able to uh, listen to his shows here in the future. It's one of the, my favorite times to be able to go through and talk about these things with someone that I connect so well with. We, we've had such an opportunity to work with so many people together. Please join us again next week where we'll continue to talk about sequence of return risk and its impact on your retirement. And that's today's episode. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. The Retirement Risk Show is a production of the Retirement Risk Advisors. Our show was produced by C.R. Talin and Autumn Koenig. If you're a CPA looking for more retirement education, visit retirementriskadvisors.com.